Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Ms. Aida, binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, co- monthly co host, Jared Murphy. Author of Is Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Sasha Graham, and uh, she has quite a few books out, The Magic of Tarot, 365 Tarot Spreads, and 365 Tarot Spells, and Tarot Diva. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, just before we started, I was just talking about, you know, how um, I found your book and I read it and um, and also, uh, you know, how so much has changed because I started reading when I was about 12 years old and there was only one book available which was by Eden Gray. And that was it. That in the little pamphlet that came with the Rider Waite deck. And that was all there was. Seriously, like those of a certain age, I think we all have that Eden Gray soft cover tarot book, uh, you know, on our bookshelves. I know I certainly do. And I actually still love to refer to that book. Um, but yeah, I mean, tarot was really a hidden thing. Uh, a very, it almost felt like a very secret thing. And to like, learn how to read the cards was like not an easy undertaking back in the 70s. I mean, even even at the, I mean, I've been publishing books, tarot books now for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the landscape has, has changed remarkably. And not only the materials that are available, but just how you can learn to read the cards. Right. There's all different things now. Like when I first started, and you talk you talk about this in your book too, is like I didn't refer to anything. I just started doing it, and, and I guess because I was so young and so untainted at the time, I could give accurate readings without even knowing anything about the cards or what I was doing. I love that you say that because, to be honest with you, that's the best way to read. In my opinion, that's the best way to read tarot. I think that because. Tarot is kind of its own language. It's a symbolic and then it's an esoteric language and there's the history of all of the traditional meanings. People get weighted down in quote unquote, knowing what the cards mean. And of course, it's super important to know your history and and dive in and kind of have your, what I would call a tarot toolbox of, of meanings and understandings of how the cards interrelate. But at the end of the day, right, it's about giving and receiving really great information. And we, I think, only really get that kind of information when we're using the beginner's eye mindset. So the idea of you giving these brilliant readings as a 12, 13 year old, not quote unquote knowing, but you did know, and we all know, and that's like the whole point. Like when I teach tarot classes, I'm like, you guys already know everything there is to know about the tarot because you bring your human experience to the cards. So if you just trust yourself um, to be open to the messages, you'll be giving brilliant readings. And honestly, you can like throw the tarot books away in a sense. (laughs) And it's weird too for me because, because afterwards, you know, I guess like around 
the 90s, all of a sudden there was a lot of tarot books out. And I started reading all those books. I mean, most of them were Golden Dawn-based books or books sort of out of uh, Boda, Builders of Additum, stuff like that type of perspective that really focused in on a lot of the esoteric symbolism in the cards um, that I wasn't aware of when I first started reading. And um, and I don't know. I don't know. It, it Part of me almost feels like during that period of time, I lost some of my intuitive side of me. Like I, I got wrapped up into this, you know, symbolism and looking at archetypes and, and ritual and all the ceremonial side of it. Yeah, yeah, and I and and I do think that in a sense, to me, it's a very that always felt. And I'm not discounting how important that information is. And I lo- and I refer to it and I use it. I read Kabbalistically. I wrote the complete book of the Rider Waite Smith Tarot, which essentially deconstructs Arthur Waite's pictorial key to the tarot. But I feel like, especially back in like the 80s, 90s, and the 2010s, when you're looking at what is theoretically heavy, heavily um written male esoteric knowledge just by the nature of of diving into that i think you're moving away from the intuitive part of yourself right because we're talking about memorization we're talking Mm -hmm. about facts that you need to understand systems um, that are very kind of mathematical and and oftentimes and often the teachers of those time periods were very like you know almost uh, i mean I would find it would place a very akin to like organized religion. Like I am the high priest or the priest or the Pope or the rabbi who's got all of this information and I'm sharing it with you. It's up to you to learn it. Not that any of that, I mean, all of that information is great and it's great to have when you're reading cards. But again, that's not necessarily why we use the cards. Right. Um, so how did you, like what inspired you to create like your, your, like your method is like, it's creative. It, there's so much room there for creativity, and you do incorporate some of the esoteric stuff in, but it's not like the main focus of it. How did you come up with this? You know, the system that you have. We're not even really well, a system, I mean, but the me- really it's just a method of teaching and getting people to experiment and experience the cards. Right, right. So, so one of the things that I believe truly, and this is coming from decades of work with tarot, is that tarot opens up this really sacred space, whether we're reading for ourselves or reading for another person. So in the books that I write or the classes that I teach, what I want to do is foster a space with which whoever the person is, whatever background they come from, they can come and 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 find messages with the cards right and we're all different you know we're all built differently the way we're going to receive our information what's going to spark on us is different so if i can bring that and help a person bring that information out of themselves not only will they walk away from the cards knowing something about themselves but they're also going to walk away with with insight and inspiration that they've gotten for themselves. Because you, when you figure something out on your own, you always remember it so much mm-hmm. better than if you've memorized it in a book. So so my tarot books tend to be a combination of all of the different ways a person can access a tarot card so that anybody can, can kind of find that. And for me, it's just been the way that I've 
continue to dive into tarot because that's that's what I love to do. And I love to be surprised. I love to find new ways in. Um, and so that's why it's like it, it it's always fascinating. It's always fresh. Mm-hmm. It never gets old to me. It hasn't, hasn't for me either. It's been a long time. Almost 40 years. Isn't it wild? I always say like flipping a tarot card, it like it's always like the first time. It's always like you hold your breath. Like, I mean, after 40 years, you're asking a really important question in theory, right? And you still probably are like, oh, what card is going to come up? Like, what's it going to be? <laughs> it, it, and it's interesting, too, that my perception of the cars have changed, how I relate to them and how I view them. Um, like, I don't look at them now as good or bad. You know, they're all... They're, they're neutral. The message of the cards are, is, a, is a neutral thing. Um, but, it's, but the way I can look at a card now and put myself into it and try to view it from the inside also changes how I can do it. And you talk about that in your book. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that, and, and to clarify, um, to put yourself inside of a card, literally to journey inside of the card, um, to find out what the card smells like, tastes like, sounds like. What's going on? What is the environment was beyond, you know, just the borders of the card. And that's when you really get into this kind of communion with the sacred imagination and archetype um, and all of this great stuff. Uh, that's when the cards really come to life. But it's funny when you say that, like, I was just thinking to myself, when I first started reading tarot, it was all about like boys, like it was, you know what I mean? It was, it was like about figuring out like what was going to happen to me and my friends love life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had no idea it would not only become a career for me, not only that it would like take me around the world, but that tarot would also become a lens with which I view the world and, and kind of um, the gateway um, of, of, of spirituality in a sense, you know, they really are, the cards really do create a spiritual system, I think, for many of us. And that's something I never would have understood when I was a teenager and is, was surprised. And it's still a surprising and wonderful to me now. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. The other thing that I really like about your book too, and, and it's, I mean, it's been common now, probably more so now than what it used to be, but the incorporation of not just Western thought in western philosophy people now include things like akashic record type of point of view or meditation meditation is emphasized now a tarot reading um what else just, just like like the like the whole world view yeah anything that you can imagine channeling all that stuff now is included magic like you talk about in your book which is about you know using the cards as a magical tool um, it, it's, it's really cool that like, like all these things are now out there for people to look at. Like, I mean, you look at it, it's a simple deck of cards with pictures, but it's so much more. It's so much more. And that's why, you know, and the, this is an interesting thing that I don't know that I'll, that the general public really understands about tarot, which is tarot's innate structure. It's, it, and I always say it's like a skeleton, right? It allows you to put anything on top of it. And I'm not just talking about different aesthetics for tarot cards. I'm talking about almost, you can take almost any spirituality, 
anything in the world and place it on top of tarot from astrology to yoga um, to Buddhism, <laughs> right? And it makes sense because of because of the way the de the deck is structured, and and probably because it did stem from an esoteric um, way of under, and, unless it's just sacred geometry and it just happened, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of evolve that way. Cause we don't know where the original, like we don't know the first tarot deck. We don't know where tarot ever came from. We only know that the oldest deck that we have on record is the Visconti Sforza deck from um, 15th century, Northern Italy. Um, and that being said, yeah, it's, it's amazing that you can put anything on top of tarot and it just works. But I think that that has a lot to do also with the fact, um, not only the way the cards are structured, but then also the way the Golden Dawn kind of organized themselves around mm -hmm. tarot. And that had a lot to do with uh, 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 Levi, who understood that you could use tarot as an organizing principle and lay anything on top. So it became the center of his like spiritual science mm -hmm. and way of, yeah. But it's fascinating. It's cool. I have to tell you, I was I was delighted. I um, a couple of years ago got to travel into Tibet and spend some time going around. And what I was surprised by was how similarly um, Tibetan Buddhism, the way that they work with mandalas, with their artwork, um, with a lot of the things that a lot of the spiritual things that they do, it's very similar to the way a lot of us and myself included are already working with tarot. Um, which I think is interesting because, you know, for instance, as opposed to like a Catholic might pray to, mm -hmm. you know, a painting of Jesus or a statue. Um, but in Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of times with those beautiful artworks, when they're um, um, contemplating a bodhisattva, they're actually imagining themselves becoming that God and becoming that compassion. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I've done with tarot cards and teach you know, how to embody a card, step inside of a card, commune with that energy. Um, and, and that's when magic unfolds. That's the very definition, right, uh, of magic is kind of changing your your energy and aligning it with the expanding energy of the universe. So I was, I was really excited um, when I saw that. I didn't realize it until I was inside, inside Tibet and traveling. But um, yeah, it's neat. That's interesting because I, I mean, I didn't go to Tibet, but I started... Uh, practicing meditation and studying with a Tibetan um, nun, and and I started to see like that too. Like like you know, I was like, this, this is all familiar to me, but for yes. a different form, you know. And, and the meditation, um, just the, like the the way of calming my mind down that they taught me in the Buddhist tradition, really enhanced what I could do with the tarot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other interesting thing that I found, again, like coming, again, coming from, and this is why I studied comparative religion in college. And so I love, I love how when you get deeper into anything, you kind of reduce it to its essence, you peel off the top of the culture, or the country or the people who are doing it, you wind up with the same kind of essential things. Um, I started out in the 90s I, when I was like a, a teenager. I moved to New York to become an actress and I went to the Lee Strasberg Institute. And one of the things that method acting teaches is sense memory, right? Sense memory so that theoretically when Al Pacino was like doing a scene where he's like really upset with his mother, 
he can like smell his mother's kitchen. He's looking and he sees his mother, like all of his senses, he's drawing upon the sense memory that he's had of that experience. So little did I realize that later on, you know, years later when I was taking like intensive tarot classes or, or doing magical work, what's the first thing that you do when you're practicing magic, you start to work on your senses. You know, it's also the same thing that tantric Buddhism mm -hmm. does. You start to focus on what something tastes like, smells like, well, because that roots you in the moment, right? And so, yeah, so it's endlessly fascinating how all of these different systems um, kind of come together, not only to make a richer experience out of life and, and to become inherently deeper with your creativity, um, but also what make life innately more pleasure, what pleasurable. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think like witchcraft or, or, or a tarot or, or any kind of magical work, it just kind of makes the world so much more interesting and it makes everything possible. And that's, a, that's a, it's a really exciting thing. It's really exciting. And mm -hmm. it's right in front of us all the time. Um, what do you think some of the big misconceptions are about the word magic? Well, I can tell you straight away because it's something that I brush up against time and time and mm -hmm. time and time again as an author and as a tarot creator who wants to bring witches and tarot and the esoteric stuff kind of to a broader audience. The thing that um, the big misconception, number one, is that um, if you're talking about witches, female witches in particular, you come up against two tropes. Right. You come up against the like kind of um, beautiful blonde bombshell shell witch or like like a very like sexy witch who's going to like have her way with you. Or you have this like evil controlling witch. And that tends to be like the two kind of tropes that you have. I think that witchcraft was so tied into organized religion, Catholicism as being something that was bad, wrong, off limits. Of course, that comes from traditionally female empowerment being tamped down, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 not only witchcraft or magic, but also tarot, because tarot is a deck of playing cards. And the church always associated cards with gambling and all of that stuff was always off limits. It's kind of this big jumble of um of misunderstanding. And then of course there's, you know, gypsy fortune tellers um and like fortune telling scams that that definitely happen every day that don't, you know, to a lay person that they don't understand it. I just, I think that, I think that magic is often seen as something that is like Harry Potter, um, kind of imaginary and not real, mm -hmm. um, or seen as something that's very scary. That's very, that, that, that's a threatening thing. And there's this idea, I think that, you know, magic is the manipulation of other people and other things when true magic you're, you're casting that on yourself, you know, the, the true magician, the true sorcerer puts the magic on them. It has nothing to do with manipulating anything else. Um, and, and anybody knows that the rule of three, you know, what you put out comes back to you. Right. Um, so you learn really quickly, you know, by trial or an error or just common sense that the magic you cast is on yourself, not on others. But I, I don't think that a lot of the general public thinks about it that deeply. That's, that is true. True. I, I, um, it took me a long time to realize that, that the real magic really is more of a game of 
perception. You know, changing the way I perceive things, changing the way I, I look at things will change the reality that I'm experiencing. It's, it's literally that simple. I'm, I'm just working with my own consciousness. And there's these different tools that I can use to direct that energy in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. And in, in my in my new book, The Magic of Tarot, I think like on the very first page, I say, the supernatural power of tarot, it gives us the power to change our story. And it's not that we just invent some new story. That's not what I'm talking about. Tarot gives you the opportunity to reframe, go deeper and understand what is going on. And when you kind of open up the way that you think about things, the way you intellectualize who you are, when you kind of start to disseminate the difference between your interior voice um, and the exterior voice. Uh, that is exactly like, like you just said, that's when things start to change because, because everything is our perception and our projection, right? Um, you know, we're each the unfolding eyes of the universe. And, 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 and so how we think, what we say to ourselves, what we believe has a direct um, result on, on, on what occurs for us in our life. And, and tarot is like this great tool kind of figure that all out because in theory if you have a tarot practice you're pulling a card at least a card every day you're asking a question every day and and just that like playing one card and asking one question after the course of a year makes such a difference i mean talk about meditation like if you're pulling a card every morning just to kind of say what do i need to to look at or what do i need to pay attention to today you're essentially doing that meditative thing because you have to clear your mind think ahead and then kind of open up for the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and even doing that in two minutes a day, um, it makes such a difference on how the rest of your day unfolds that people, I think, think that that's such an easy, small thing to do that it wouldn't have a profound effect, but it does. It does. And I'm yeah. sure you know that as well. You've experienced why that works oh, so I, well. I, absolutely. Like if I start my day off, um, like, like my routine would be like, you know, first I'll do like a 20, just regular 20 minute meditation. You know, then I might pull a, pull a tarot card, you know, just kind of remember what it is, like give it my head for the rest of the day. And, in, and usually like sometimes I'll just write down a couple things that I'm grateful for. And just like that little bit of a routine creates this huge change. Yeah. And, and it's not like something formal, you know, I mean, I made it up myself. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. And it's one of those things that so I, I often find that whether you're looking at magic or whether you're just trying to kind of just in general improve yourself or find a little bit of peace or, 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 or do something or reach a goal, I, nine times out of 10, it is really the simplest thing that you can do, which becomes the most effective. And for some reason, our minds, our brains are wired like, oh, we have to like change all this stuff and we make it this huge big thing that we have to do. And and maybe, you know, maybe that's partially like um, also a very American thing. I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh, we're going to, you know, big change and da, 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 da. Um, when really the simplest, simple things, you know, a card a day, um, a little bit of hypnosis you know, um, or a guided meditation bringing you to a place where you want to be just tiny, tiny things. Um, 
little adjustments add up to a grad, like a daily gratitude. Oh my God. I I do a daily gratitude with my sister. I have for years and Mm -hmm. we have a big habit of being grateful for the things that haven't happened, but that we want to have happen. And I can, I could, I could show you, you know, years and years worth of what I was grateful for that now is in my life. Right. Like it's a good, it's a good, I don't know. Oh my God. That's so funny. As I said that, my sister, who's in California, her gratitude <laughs> just popped up. Oh, that's so great. I love that that just happened. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to, to, and the other thing um, with magic is, you know, if I look at the world without magic, just as it is, I mean, you know, with without it, like if the world's not a magical place; it's just a mechanical place. Or I can look at the world as a magical place with endless possibility. I mean, obviously, like like if I'm gonna choose which world I want to exist in, it's gonna be the one with magic. I mean, of course, and like and 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 then it is always you know one of the things that I think people again lay people or people who don't understand like just because you work with magic or, you know, that's kind of your, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to be exempt. It doesn't mean that all of your spells will work. Um, and there's a good reason for that. And I always say, could you imagine if you're someone who casts spells, if every, or, or, or even if you're not, could you imagine if everything you've ever wanted in your whole life had come true? Where would you be today? Who would you be married to? I would be. A, I would be a dead rock star. <laughs> That's what I would be if I got everything I wanted. Hey, and you're still here, and I'm very happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't always know. We we often do not know. I think we know what we want, but I don't know that we often know what is best for us or, or what is right for us. But I think that the universe or whatever you want to call what's out there has a way of always giving us what we uh-huh. need. You know? You know, when I do readings for other people and, um, you know, sometimes people are afraid. Like, they're like, well, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And I always say, you're only going to find out through a reading what you're supposed to find out. If there's anything that you're not supposed to know, it's not going to show up in the reading. It's still... Um, for you to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it makes me, and I understand why people get scared during readings because I've met so many people who've had kind of dark negative, like the power of tarot really lies in the person who's giving you the reading. Cause you're going to get so much of their personality and the information and how it's delivered. Um, but I think that it's good for people what, that you're reading for to communicate their like, needs, desires, fears, you know, because a lot of times people come with like a lot of baggage to a tarot card reading or people come expecting to hear a predictive future. Like, I don't know about you. Do you read predictively? I don't read predictively, really. Um, What I do is I look at it as I am reading the energies surrounding the question and the possible outcome based on what the energy is at that moment. You know, mm-hmm. if you obviously if you change your thoughts and you change your energy, you're going to change the outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah, same. Yeah, same for me here. Same for me here. And then there's some people who come to readings and they're like, oh, I want to know X, Y, Z. Or what's like, I what's the most outrageous thing anybody has ever asked you in a tarot reading? Actually, I always tell people not to tell me their question. Oh, nice. I, I always say, tell them like, no, I, you know, people will start to, I say, no, don't tell me your question. I'm just going to read the cards. I'm going to give you the information that's given to me and that's it. And you ever have to tell me what your question was. Nice. So, so that way, too, I know that my own bias and judgment isn't included in the reading. I think that's I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a really great way. I think that also what's interesting about that is that would make the person sitting across from you feel very safe in a sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that's so cool. Because like I've I've got I've done readings for people that that made absolutely no sense to me, but they've made sense to the person I was reading to. It took me a really long time as a reader not to feel like I needed to know everything that was going on for the person across the table, and I realized that when I could just read what I saw and not worry about how it was landing with them, not only did it like conserve my energy. They wound up probably getting more out of the reading than if I thought I knew what was happening, which is which goes back to your point of not asking if they have any questions or concerns that they want to bring into the reading. So you let them ask the questions. I do. I mean, I feel like oftentimes just phrasing a question um, helps a person because sometimes people don't. Sometimes people arrive at a tarot reading and they're unhappy but they're not even sure why mm. so that i think that not always but sometimes just the formation of a question becomes kind of the reading in and of itself right. i'm very much of the school that the the question is the answer <laughs> you know sometimes you don't even need the cards yeah. um, well i have them think of the question while they're shuffling is what i do nice. as long as right. i don't as long as i don't know it <laughs> I have to have a question, you know, but just think of it. What deck do you use? Do you use one particular deck? I still, from for regular readings, I use just a regular Rider weight deck. I mean, now there's like a million variations of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but that, that's the one I use mostly for reading. I have tons and tons of Oracle cards and different types of decks, but that's the one I've always been using for when I'm reading for other people. Nice. How, how about you? I um, It depends. So I have certain decks that I use for certain subjects that they seem to be very well attuned to. Like I love the Prisma Visions tarot deck. Um, that seems to vibe on a really crazy high level for me. Um, and then I love to, so I created the Darkwood Tarot, which yeah. is, um, copy here. This is a shadow deck. And so when I'm dealing with something where I need to see, I need to uncover what I don't recognize or what I don't see, that's really good for me. Um, but that's even a kind of beguiling deck. It's weird. It's wild mm -hmm. to read tarot with a deck that you've created. Um, and then when I'm afraid of something, like I'll read from my haunted tarot of the haunted house deck that I created. Mm -hmm. So if that's like a fear topic, I'll go to that. And then the Rider Waite Smith always and in all of its different variations i love that deck pretty cool do you ever use things like the uh the golden dawn ritual tarot 
I've never used it. No. Is I, it good? I don't know. I have it, but I've never really used it either. And one of the things, um, you know, about tarot too is um, using it in place of like ritual magic tools. You know, like all the symbols that you need are in the deck. You just got to, you know, decide on what it is you're doing, find the right cards. And, yeah. they, and you don't even have to follow us. Like one of the things I liked about your book, too, is you, you leave it up to the person to find those personal, the things that are personal to them, the, what, what means something to them. Um, and, and to use those cards and to set up the altar that's going to be best for them, whether it's candles, flowers, yeah. crystals, stuff like that. Um, rather than, you know, saying like you have to have a, um, a certain color facing east, a certain color facing the west, and pentagrams and, and sigils and all kinds of this other stuff. Agreed. Agreed. So I think in this, I think this is really, really important that, that for people, and it's a funny thing, like the thing about ceremonial magic is its work and its effort. You know what I mean? It takes time. It takes planning. And and so I, it feels to me like if you incorporate those things with which you're already vibing with in a very big way, like um, then then just doing because so often the way information, especially ritualistic information is passed down. Um, it's just habit of the person who like created it how many hundred years ago, right? And not to say that that's not important, but I feel like um, I feel like when your magic is such a personal thing and sacred ritual for yourself is such a sacred thing that you do yourself a big favor by using those things which you are very deeply connected to. So what does that mean? It means that... Um, and, and when you look up like the magical usage for something like basil, right. Or like, like an herb or something, mm -hmm. um, you'll find out that often the things you are drawn to for certain rituals already have that magical quality within them. Um, and that's a really kind of life affirming, exciting thing to discover, but tarot and ritual will always be more effective. It is if it is personal to you. And that, and that's just the bottom line. And, and, and I feel like there, to a degree, it's an inauthentic to go through a ritual, ritual, rituals for yourself. If you're not completely comfortable in that space. And I hearken back to organized religion because I can remember maybe in my middle school years, I was brought into the Catholic church, um, by a family that my mother married into. And, I felt like I was faking everything when I would mm -hmm. have to go through all of the, because I didn't have any connection or understanding. And so I thought somebody was knocking at the door. I don't know if you can hear I that. Hear <laughs> my neighbor. I mean, by the way, I'm in an apartment building in Manhattan. So <laughs> I have a feeling my neighbor is getting some plumbing work done right upstairs. <laughs> um, but I just think it's important that a person use what uses what works for them um, because this isn't organized religion. It's tarot and it's magic. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing also a person can do is explore on their own what works for them because we're talking about the invisible world. We're talking about ineffable things. Each of us are built differently. What each of us responds to is going to be different. 
what is going to pack a magical power punch is going to be different from one uh, person to the next. So we're really the Indiana Jones exploring our experience as a magical person. So that's why I think you need to jump in and start like seeing what works for you. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think that, um, you know, now with uh, quantum physics and more exploration into consciousness and cosmic consciousness, how do you think that has changed how um, people approach the tarot now? Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's funny because it, it's very mainstream, especially among the youth, the youth of today, like the TikTok generation and Instagram, but especially like the TikTok kids. And that's essentially all the kids um, that I, that all of that information, not only is it really readily accessible and kind of like spewed out and regurgitated by other 22 year olds or 17 year olds, whereas you never found that before. Like you would mm -hmm. never find like a 22 year old kind of like gorgeous tattooed boy explaining sacred, the nature of sacred geometry. But now they're all over TikTok, right? Um, um, quantum physics and all of that manifest, manifest. Um, so I think that, I think that in tarot then just becomes a tool to add on for all of the, the stuff that the general public is talking about in today's kind of popular culture and the social media space around, around it. And I think also the fact that um, psychedelics are now becoming incorporated into, mm -hmm. you know, actually becoming like um, things that are used for depression and Alzheimer's and, and all of that. The idea that, of course, it was all demonized back in the 60s because the powers that be wanted to put the hippies away, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a great way to like control a population by taking away or, or making their, 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 their substances um, illegal. Um, but of course now, right, we recognize that it has all of these therapeutic benefits and that it's really a doorway in which, you know, I think Alejandro, I always say his name wrong, Jodorowsky, um, he said, you know, the point of a psychedelic is to use it like an elevator to get as high as you can go and look out and see what's possible and then mm -hmm. spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to get there on your own. Um, so, yeah, so I think tarot just comes right into all of that conversation brilliantly. And again, going back to the brilliant structure of the 78 cards and the four suits, it fits mathematically and numero numerologically. Um, it, it, it fits on top of all of that stuff brilliantly. So it's a perfect yeah. addition. Uh, and the other thing that I find fascinating too now is because a lot of my interviews, I interview people and are talking about raising vibration and in in extending, you know, extension type of stuff. And when you look at the, you know, the cards and their association, everything there has to do with vibration, the color, the, 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 the numeric value can be a number or some form of sacred geometry. Um, mm -hmm. The emotion that's in the car could be a vibration. Um, and, you know, the, the element of the card that the card is associated with, so there's all these different things that that will associate with that that sort of new age type of philosophy. 
But I do, I do take issue, um, or not take issue, but I would like to, I do enjoy adding to that conversation, this idea of ascension and, and higher and, and kind of lighter. And this is where my dark wood mm-hmm. tarot really comes in. Um, and when I talk about shadow work, um, I do think that there is a tendency for the quote unquote new age community to think about love and light and looking up at all of um, this wonderful white dazzling things as being good and thinking that things that are dark, things that are deep, things that are below, things that are death-like are bad. And, and to me, then we're moving into that territory like organized religion where something like, like light is good and dark is bad. Mm-hmm. Now, when I talk about shadow work, when we look at tarot and magic and everything, we have to remember that light and dark isn't equal. You know, the only reason that we're drawn to light is that we happen to be on a planet that for half the day, you know, we're facing the sun, but 99.999% of the known universe is in darkness. And, and when we're on our back decks looking up at the night sky, that is really the true nature of the universe, darkness, not not light. And so this idea that that things that are dark and scary or not have come to pass yet is somehow nefarious or dangerous, I think is really doing us a disservice because all potential lays in darkness in that which has not come to manifest yet. And it's the same thing as when you start listening to silence and you find out that silence is actually quite pregnant, it's full of all possibility. I think the same is true of darkness. So I think the key, or I, I would hope to just bring to the, con- the, the table of the conversation that while we want to vibe high and we want to ascend and we want to definitely evolve, right? Evolution, it's not a two-dimensional thing that, that really all potential is inside of the darkness. And there's a tendency in new age and in tarot specifically to really tell ourselves what we want to hear. And I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. And it, it's my heartfelt belief that if, if we're not learning things or acknowledging things about ourselves that we either haven't brought the light of our consciousness to, or if we're only telling ourselves what we want to hear to make ourselves feel better, then we're not really taking responsibility for who we are as a human. And so again, shadow work, the ability to use a card to look honestly at the things that you've done maybe in the last week um, that weren't so nice or weren't so high vibing that maybe you want to take a look at and make amends for or try and figure out why you did that, right? That would be shadow work. Um, I think that that's using magic and using these tools and using tarot in a truly profound way because what that is is energetically and psychically kind of cleaning up after yourself. Um, And, yeah. To me, that's just being honest. (laughs) But a lot of people have a hard time doing that, you know? Yeah. A lot of people just want to, you know, what they want to, they want to tell, you know, see what they want to see. Um, yeah. Interesting. You know, the, the, the people, uh, like, like darkness for me isn't something that's scary. For me, that's like the dreamscape, you know. <sighs> like, like, like that's where I can dream. I like, it's my, my night times, like when I can dream up anything I possibly could ever think of, you know. And, and if I'm lucky, I can remember it during the day and, and bring it into my everyday life. Um, you know, so in some ways, like, um, 
one of the subjects I've covered too is, is this topic of dream, dream incubation. Um, which also is in, um, was a big part of Boda too. They would have you like mm-hmm. look at a card before you go to sleep or read the definition of the card before you go to sleep, hold the image in your head and you go to sleep and you see what happens. Um, and, 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 and you know, that's where it's just the creativity just sort of happens on its own. Have you ever, have you ever tried to do that in a liminal dream space? Oh, you mean. Eliminal, like, um, you know, when, um, because I'll, I'll, I often play in this space, it, eliminal dream space is when you're kind of, you're not awake, but you're not asleep. Oh, and like so, an alpha state? Yeah. So it's not, well, I, I can't do it when I'm falling asleep, but when I wake up at like 3, 4 a.m., if I happen to wake up, mm-hmm. then I can, I can get into that space pretty effortlessly and wild things. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I use binaural beats to kind of get myself into that kind of state. Nice. That works really it's, well for me. Yeah. So do you do that like during the day? Like you would do that out of your sleep? Sometimes, yeah. Whenever, I'm, whenever I feel like it. <laughs> You're like in a, bin, yeah. a binaural state mood. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the things too that jumped out when I was reading your book um, was a card that I never really gave paid much attention to. I think it was like the it was the nine of wands, the one where the guy had the bandage around his head and he's standing there leaning on the wand, and, and he looks kind of beat up, but he's kind of just looking off into the distance. You know, when I was reading your book, that card jumped out at me, and I'm like, I wonder why that card's jumping out at me, you know? Like, this card's never really meant anything to me personally. And then I realized, like, like wow, this card is really me right now, you know? Because I had just gone through a divorce, I've moved, I've lost everything, I've re- I'm rebuilding, I'm healing, and I'm looking out to see what's next. So, so every once in a while, like like that will happen where like all of a sudden I'm relating to a card in a, a way that I didn't relate to it, and all of a sudden it becomes really personal to me. Like and that happens to me. Not sometimes when I look, you know, drawing a card a day or something will happen, but it also happens to me when I'm reading a book like yours. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And and I and those and those moments and, and you know, like my first book, Tarot Diva, was all about how we embody the cards all the time. And if, and if we can understand how any second of our life can be kind of applied to a tarot card, then we understand the card that much more. So I would venture, like, that makes me, I'm really happy, like, to hear you say that, that I could have been a gateway for you into, like, recognizing what a nine of wands moment that you're in right now, because that probably won't ever leave your consciousness as an no. understanding that card and that's a really again that's a really special thing that only you could kind of come up with mm-hmm. so just to harken back to the beginning of kind of bringing people to a space where they can bring their own experience into what a card means um and it's exciting it's exciting when that happens in two ways because and I love it when I'm haunted by right when, I, when I'm haunted by a card that keeps coming up over and over and over again um it's a way it's a way of marking and defining the space that you're in as right. well. Yeah. Like like in typically too, like I only want the good cards. <laughs> or like what I think are the good cards. Like I want like, you know, like um I don't know, the high priestess or um the fool or the magician or the hermit, you know. But I don't you know, who who really wants to look at a card like the Nine of Wands or the Tower or 
like the you know, um, what's that other one? The Seven of Cups. Three of Swords. <laughs> yeah. Three of Swords is is a tough is tough because there's no getting around. Three of Swords to me, even even though I like to look at that card as being like it's the heart opener. And, you know, like, no matter what, whether it's something beautiful or whether it's something painful, like, it's still, like, that's why we grimace and have the same face, whether we're crying or laughing. Mm -hmm. um, anything that breaks our heart open is going to hurt. And that includes, like, love breaks us open. Like, uh, children break us open, literally, when, when we give birth to them. Um, and, and. So it's a kind of, yeah, like it, it's kind of one of those reminders. You're like, no, I don't want this, but you have to, you have to go through, you have to go through that stuff in order to have the good things. But I, yeah, I, I agree. So what's the card that you least ever want to see? Um, hmm. I'm going to probably say the tower. Really? Yeah. Even though, like, I know there's the potential and, you know, in the moon card, it kind of shows, you know, like, I know the whole story behind it. But, but man, I hate um, unexpected change. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I you don't, you know, what's funny to me. I always look at the tower card. Really, actually, the last couple of years, my really hardcore take on the tower is that it is the moment that you release attachments and that, that everything that's kind of falling out of the tower mm -hmm. is everything that kind of disappears from your life once you're not, once you don't have those puppet strings of attachment on what you think something should be. Hmm. I don't know. So I'm digging the tower lately. I think the Three of Swords is my most. The funny thing about the Three of Swords that, that, that I think about, like when I'm really thinking about it, and I guess too, because you know, I've gone through a heartbreak and all that kind of stuff, and you know, and then I'm dating, is the, the, there's the same feeling in my heart of breaking up is almost the same feeling as falling in love. But yet I'm associating one with something bad and one with something good, but yet it's almost the same feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when you put your hands on, if you put your hand on a hot stove or a piece of ice, like you wouldn't know the difference, mm -hmm. right? Like you just, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So the only thing that's different is my mental association with that feeling. But the mm -hmm. feeling itself is usually the same. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's kind of like what I'm thinking of when you say that about the three of hearts. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's interesting. And so and and so we have to in order to evolve, we're going to have to be in that space of uncomfortability like it or not. So what is yeah. your what is your favorite card? Mm, my favorite card. I love the Queen of Wands. I really love the Queen of Wands because my my favorite kind of understanding about her is that she's figured out how to harness her desire that so that she's not a slave to her desire that she uses it to kind of be the fusion which pushes her forward towards whatever it is that she wants and i think that she's the most alive of all of the cards mm. like that idea like a fire crackling inside of her um and that she's warm and that she lights up a room so like on a personal level 
all of that feels innately very good to me. Um, the high priestess, of course, being a blueprint and authenticity of who you are is a big favorite for me, although I don't find her as fun as something like the Queen of Wands, at least in this stage in my life. Yeah, so I would say the Queen of Wands, um, the world card for sure. The world card is always delicious because that's just like pure being in the moment and greeting everything that comes at you as if it's fresh and new. Um, yeah, Queen of Wands and World, I would say. Hmm. I don't know what mine would be. I, I think mine would have to be a toss-up between, it's a weird one, the devil or the lovers. Oh, go on, sir. Explain. Well, I think because the devil represents, you know, and that, that sort of attachment to earthly pleasure, you know. It's about like sex and eating cake and having fun. That's kind of like what it means to me. And, and to me, like, like, like that's part of what this life experience is, is about is to have that, that stuff, you know. And the fact that the people in the card, um, even though they're chained, they're, they're willingly chained, you know, they can take them off at any time. And the lover's card is also sort of similar to that. But, I, you know, it's the two people standing there, but there's no, you know, they're not bound by anything. You know, there's just this angel looking down on them. Um, and there's still some mystery behind that one for me, too. Yeah. Like, those two yeah. cards together, you know, kind of leave a little bit of mystery for me. Well, right, and they're, and they're total mirrors of each other, mm -hmm. graphically. And, you know, so you have all of, like, I, I, I love that. I love that you – I think – Agreed. When you see the mystery, go go further. What do you mean about that? Like, because they're almost the same card, but one's the devil and one's an angel. Um, but the devil one almost looks still still to me seems like more fun. <laughs> you know? But the devil is, and the devil is an angel. Like he's traditionally, yeah, he's yeah, he, he's, he's the angel. he's supposed to be like a fallen angel that that came to earth. Yeah, you know so. Uh, but but I think there's a story there between those two cards. Like I wonder if that angel in the lover's card is also the devil in the devil card. I know that. Or like, like, or like or like or like like the shadow work side. Like with one shadow or the other. Well, something interesting. The Golden Dawn called the devil card the dweller on the threshold, right? And so in the occultists' ascent, um, like. In, in, in figuring out the kind of the, the, the tree of life, right? How, mm -hmm. how the occultist understands the tree of life, that the, that the tree of life represents how something manifests in the world. So it's how something goes from the invisible world. How does a, a flower appear? Where did, you know, these glasses come from? How did it come to become a thing? And so theoretically, the Kabbalah explains the different levels yeah. that something goes through to be a thing. And so once the occultist kind of understands that, then the, then that's the, the journey of emergence. That's called how something becomes. Then the occultist, and in tarot shows this, the occultist then um, does the journey of return, which means that the occultist understanding how something has emerged turns around and kind of uses the tree of life and everything that they've gained as they're not occult knowledge 
to work their way back up the treats, the tree, so that they can greet divinity, the top, the crown, Kether, eye to eye, right? So they take hold of their experience. They turn around and start to journey in that world of emergence for themselves. And so in that um, journey of return back up the tree, the one kind of like big like video game boss that they have to, that has to be slain is the devil card. So what does that mean? Like, why would the devil be the one who holds all of the power in the tarot deck? And it's really actually quite simple. And it is aligned with the lover's card. Uh, if we look at the essence of water and the way that water flows through the deck and it flows from the high priestess, this goes directly back to Boda, is how her dress really mm -hmm. turns, is, is the water that flows through the deck. And if we look at so many of the ways in which water is portrayed in the tarot, oftentimes it gives us an idea of what's going on with the element of air, if the waters are choppy, if the waters are still. Um, but still, in so many of the cards, you have this kind of like water flow. Theoretically, that being the high priestess part of yourself. So at the point at which um, anything is blocked, and who blocks that? It's the devil. Right. So something and, and, and you can use a relationship as a wonderful metaphor for this. You fall in love. The first six months are glorious. Life feels magical and incredible. So beautiful. So wonderful. The endorphins, la, la, la. But what happens as relationships begin to evolve and transform and all and that magic starts to kind of fall away. You start to be like demands and why didn't you do this and why did with that and that's it that's it that all of these ideas of like control the control of anything mm. once you relinquish that control once energy is just allowed to move where it wants to go once you slay that dweller on the threshold right which is the ego which is everything you repress which is all the stuff you stuff down that you don't want to acknowledge that you don't want to look at the need to control things once you can honestly like kind of slay that devil right that's then when that tower card comes through and suddenly everything is wide open and so that a new possibility something that's always been inside of you but that's never been allowed to emerge appears within the moon card and it's so weird and so new and so special that it might really freak you out. As you probably know, when you're journeying in the other world and you're encountering archetypes, oftentimes those archetypes are terrifying because mm -hmm. they're not anything that we would experience in the material world, right? Um, and, and so the moon card that, you know, the moon card, the softness of reflected sunlight gives us the shadowy space where like in a liminal nighttime dream state, you can encounter something horrifying in a way that you're not going to run away from it and allow that kind of to come to be. Um, and so, and, and that's to me really the story of the tarot of, of how things evolve. And then that's why you've got the, you know, the sun and then judgment and then the world very quickly after all of that. But I, I, but I do think that there's a direct correlation because I think the lover's card is just a great metaphor for whatever it is that we're in love with, whether it's another person mm -hmm. or our career or our house or whatever we kind of are like obsessed with, um, leads us right to the, the, the devil card, 
because then we're going to want to control it and have our way with it. And, and that's just, we can coax something along or we can bring something <laughs> to be, or we can create space for it, but we can't control it. And when we think that we do, that's when we get into trouble. So I would say that's part of the secret, I think, in the lovers and the devil. That's pretty good. <laughs> I love it, man. I love this stuff. I love it. It helps me, it helps me figure my stuff out. <laughs> me too. Um, what card would you not want to date? Oh, thank you for asking this because I think figuring out, <laughs> I think figuring out like which cards you would want to sleep with, like it's a great way to like get to know the core cards and stuff. Which card would I not want to date? But it wouldn't have to be a specifically a court card. It could be any card in the deck. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I have like I know oh, what mine would be. I know what mine would be. I totally know know what mine would be. Mine would be the Eight of Cups because they would always be unattainable, right? They'd always have their back to you when they're like going up the mountain. Yeah. I do that. Mine would be the Page of Swords. <gasps> Why? It's always taken off. <laughs> <laughs> She's so clever and smart and cute. <laughs> Clever, smart, and cute, or it would be terrible. Like the the Seven of Pentacles, that would be no fun. <laughs> yeah, that would be no fun. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. I'm going to start asking my tarot friends that. Well, that's a great question. <laughs> or could you like imagine like dating the Wheel of Fortune? Like it would just you just be like, just stop. You're exhausting. I can't anymore with this. Or. <laughs> <laughs> Or the fool. I think that's what dating me is like. I think anybody who dates me is like dating the fool. <laughs> really? I feel like that's like having a toddler or like like babysitting a child is the fool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's probably, well, I'm not so childish, but I, I'm just not very – I don't care about things the way normal people do. Good. That's a good thing. I, I, I'm not I, – I like walking off the cliff. <laughs> You're like, bring it. <laughs> bring it, bring it. What card would you be? Or what card do you think you are in your deck? Mm. Mm. I feel most, the card I feel most engaged with is the Empress, just because I tend to live in an explosion of ideas and creativity. And so I'm really great with ideas, but it's, and, and so that, that Empress part of me, yeah, I feel like, I feel like Empress. I, there's a lot, I, I, my life is very full. It's very like, it's, I feel very expansive, I think, in the things that I do. Um, and so, and my challenge is always to rein it in and give it structure, mm-hmm. that Emperor thing. So I guess Empress, how about you? Full. <laughs> <laughs> what card do you think would be your shadow card? Oh, the devil. Yeah. Devil. Definitely the devil. Oh, God, in so many ways, he's my shadow. But, I mean, he is the shadow. That's So maybe that's a trick question in a, or that's a trick answer because mm-hmm. he's so – he holds the key to all of the shadow stuff. So maybe I should pick a second card. Um. 
Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the moon. I think the moon would be a good shadow card because there's always, I do feel, I don't know about you, but I do always, I always feel like things that are popping through that I want to do that maybe I don't. Um, and the things that I tap down, like think about, if you think about the moon card and that like crawfish coming up, it's very, it would be very easy to walk over and be like, group pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or just like fish them out, you know, throw them in a boiling pot and eat them for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the moon card feels very, um, very easy to walk into that space and manipulate it in some way. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like maybe the moon card is my shadow card. Okay. So, so that means that you have a tendency sometimes that you have to fight the urge off to go into a situation and try to manipulate it. Yeah, I feel I well, I feel like I yeah, I feel like a lot of times things spring, spring up inside of me and then I don't I either don't follow through or I'm afraid to follow through or it freaks me out or you know, yeah, yeah, so I think that, that speaks to the shadow really well because the shadow is that place, that kind of bubbling place inside of you um where things are are popping up and it's up to us to like either engage with it and kind of midwife it into real reality, mm-hmm. or it's just going to stay down there kind of percolating, affecting you, even though you don't want to think that it is all those little crawfish popping up. <laughs> have you ever ha- eaten crawfish? I must have in new Orleans, but I don't make it a regular. Yeah. It's not a regular dining staple. <laughs> For me, <laughs> me either. <laughs> Where are you, by the way? I, I, I'm in New Jersey. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, but I just moved back from. I was in Alabama for five years. Oh, do they eat a lot of crawfish down there? They do. Yeah, because I was on the Gulf. Oh, nice. Oh, I'm glad to be back here. Are you? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome back to yeah. the North. Yeah, you, 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 you talk about feeling restricted or like unable to express myself or be myself or share what I know. Like, like that's how I felt then. I felt like a caged animal because of such the, the religion there is so heavy oh. and they're so judgmental. That you know, that's so I did a, I did when Magic of Tarot came out, I did an event with Mississippi Square Bookstore, a virtual event. Mm-hmm. And it was the first thing that people were asking. And I forgot, I wasn't thinking, you know, I wasn't thinking this is a Southern bookstore and the culture is just so different and the religion is so prevalent. And therefore the, um, the what do you call it? The prejudice against tarot or magic. And, and so a lot of the people were like, how do I do it and not get in trouble? Or how do I like find, you know, and in my mind, I always think, well, gosh, technology and social media has blown it open. So that even even if you live in a, like a rural town where it's like, ah, that's the devil's work. You could still find a community online, but that's just, I mean, and it's sad that people feel like they can't be themselves and like, kind of, I don't know put on a, get a tarot tattoo if they feel like it on their arm without being persecuted. But it goes back to that. It goes back to that um, persecution of anything magical, anything like no organized religion that has perceived experts who are going to speak to God for you 
will ever want their community to be engaged in places where they get to find the answers for themselves, unfortunately. Yeah, it's really sad. Like down there, it was so bad that there's a, a, a Buddhist meditation center that bought a plot of land and they wanted to open up like a retreat center. And uh, they were so against the Buddhists that they passed a law saying that they could not develop that particular piece of land. Can you imagine? Buddhists. Buddhists. <laughs> which isn't to say that, like, which, and this is the other thing I learned, like, in Tibet, and, uh, which I thought was interesting. It's like just Buddhism that feels to me innately like, like, the, of all of the organized religions, and, obvi- and like being in Buddhist culture, a Buddhist country, is um, it is remarkably different. You know, I was in Tibet, um, and then three weeks later, I was in the Middle East, in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. And night and day, in terms of how, just how the people were. But um, that, that just makes me really sad, that, like, Christians would be, like, angry, intimidated, or, or terrified by Buddhists, which are, it's a, such an innately, it's a, while it is still masculine and there's plenty of llamas that have had like, you know, and there's still that differentiation between like monks and the, and the nuns mm-hmm. and all of that, which, which I do take issue with. Um, it's the most peaceful. That just makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, some of, some of these, some of this culture, like, you know, they're kind of like that. It's like a Taliban mentality. Hmm. You know, just different religion, but same mentality. Yeah, it's it, you know what it, it goes down back to the devil card. This yeah. idea that, um, yeah, there's I don't now I can hear drilling upstairs. I'm forgive me <laughs> coming through into the podcast, but um, well, and that was a bit with what I would take issue when I first started like poking into witchcraft stores in New York City in the 70s and the 80s. Like there was. You weren't necessarily welcome in those places. And there I, I found them to be just as snotty as a lot of organized religion. True. And I, I thought that was interesting. And when yeah. I first kind of entered the metaphysical community, I in my mind's eye, I'm like, oh, these are spiritual people and everybody's gonna be open and embracing and loving. And there's just as much bitchiness, catcalling, you know, what does this one have that I don't have? Like just because it's the world of tarot. Or metaphysics didn't make it any lovelier of a place than, like, I don't know, probably like your local organized church. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's human nature, unfortunately. Um, But again, it's a funny thing that that, that's that makes me sad, though, about the Buddhist center. Yeah. Yeah, I was always a little intimidated by witchcraft, too, because it was mostly feminism. Because in some ways, it's a feminist movement, you know. And that always kind of intimidated me a little bit. Let me ask you, and this is what's so interesting even today. Like, if you look at Hollywood, if you, I mean, I can name two of my favorite, like, girl witch movies, right? The Craft, which Mm -hmm. was in the 90s, and Practical Magic, which was also in 97, I think. That was the adaptation of the Alice Hoffman book. What witch movie has come out since then that really was about about empowered witches? None. How many movies are there about murdering occultists and magicians and this, that, and the other thing? But somehow, when you talk to Hollywood about witchcraft, 
even if it's just plain old, like powerful, you know, unless it's the CW, unless it's the CW network, um, those movies don't get made. Like it's, it is, witchcraft is feminism in a big way. And it freaks people out. Hmm. Uh, one of my fantasies though has always been walking through the woods at night and being abducted by a coven of naked witches. That shouldn't be so hard to do. It hasn't happened to me yet. Oh, you're in the wrong forests. You should. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something like I don't know. I, I think I think if you went to some of those, I know there's gatherings of witches. They have like big, um, you know, like communities. Like maybe. Oh, now that you're in New Jersey, you should check out the night kind gatherings. Yeah. I, I I think that you're closer to, to naked witches in the woods than you realize. You just have to find out where they are. I'm going to start Googling this. You should. Maybe it could come true. Oh, oh definitely. Besides, you know how, to, how magic works, so you can make that happen for That's yourself. true. Um, so is there going to be a sequel to this book? To the Magic of Tarot? Mm-hmm. Uh, there will not be a direct sequel to this book because this, The Magic of Tarot, my editor had said to me, she was like, Sash, you've never written just a basic beginner's basic book, but I teach a lot of beginner classes. So this book was written to go along really well with any class that I teach and also just to give a good foundational space for tarot and magic. Mm-hmm with which you can take it as far as you want to go. I don't think you necessarily need a lot more than that. So I have um, some tarot deck, like I have a new tarot deck coming in 2023, spring of next year called Tarot of the Witch's Garden, which is all about um, manifestation and, and about kind of the garden as a metaphor for the universe and how to make magic. So that's coming out. That's got a really juicy 30,000 word companion book. Um, (laughs) But as far as cemented titles, you'll have to stay tuned. I can't say anything yet. But I don't think that I don't think that there's necessarily going to be a sequel to The Magic of Tarot. I want you guys, everybody who reads the book, to write their own sequels by making magic in your life. That's awesome. That's a good answer. <laughs> it really is a good book because it's not it's not too heady either. Like I'm not. I'm not counting how many yodes are on a card or looking for all these hidden. I mean, because when you really get into it, like there's a lot of hidden symbolism in each card, especially like when you're counting different things, like all this. I mean, it's really endless how much symbolism they were able to pack into each card. Um, and those books have all been written too, have, like yeah. that, you know. And 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 I will say, like a lot of times when I'm going in, I prefer the older books. I think they get much more; they're much more direct and to the point. Um, yeah, but all all of those, the ones with the really unique that go heavily into the Golden Dawn symbolism, yeah, those books have all been written. So I wouldn't want to. I don't know that I could find a new way to reinterpret that. So it isn't something. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it could be interpreted anymore either. <laughs> it's it's been done, that's for sure. Yeah. So. Um, so I want to thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. 
And uh, before we wrap it up, where's the best place my listeners can find you and find your books in your decks? My books. So the best place to find out anything that I've got going on is at sashagram.com. That's my website. And it's really easy to like, you could Google my name, like Mm -hmm. Sasha Tarot or Sasha Graham Tarot and all my stuff will come up. But if you go to sashagram.com, you'll find links to all of my books. You'll find an event page with all of the, I do two live events every month out in Brooklyn. So you'll find out how to get to those. I also travel around the world and I teach and I speak. So those links will be there on the event page. I have a blog, I have videos, and I'll also links to my social media. So yeah, sashagram.com is the best place. Awesome. I'll put a link to that in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you, get your books, and attend your events. Yay. Do you do any online events? I mean, or online classes? I do. In fact, I have, oh, the Kingston Tarot and Len Armand Conference, which will be in um, November of this year. That has an online option, so Mm -hmm. you can attend in person or online. I'm teaching a master class there. Um, I'm teaching another in October. I can't, it hasn't been officially announced, but there will be an offering in October. Uh, and then what else? What else? I don't think I have anything else digital. I got kind of burned out on digital during the pandemic. (laughs) Real life, real life stuff. Um, which is good. Yeah. But I, I I may be launching some things digitally in in the TikTok space. So just just stay tuned. If you if anyone subscribes to my newsletter, I don't bomb anybody with like updates all the time. It's just when you need to know something is happening. So yeah, definitely subscribe to SashaGram.com and and you'll find out when there's a, an offering available online or in person. Awesome. Unlike me, I send out two newsletters a day. <laughs> Do you? No. You're lucky to get one a month. <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't sound like your type, but okay. No, I, I do it maybe once a month, if that, once every two months. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, just hang on for one moment while I play the outro. Amazon, it will change your life.